0: The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let the church of Jesus Christ say, Amen. Amen. Forgive my impertinence, church, but I've got to ask you, why are you here today? I mean, okay, I know why the church gathers for worship on this day, on Easter Sunday. Today we announce again the resurrection of Jesus, Christ is risen. Today, we declare again to anyone who would listen that because of the resurrection of Jesus, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever, and so forth. And so, here we are. Today, we've brought out our finest brass and percussion. We've tuned up the choir We've attacked your nostrils with the fresh fragrance of lilies and hydrangeas and tulips. Today, the resurrection of Jesus has even brought the Tom Brady of organists out of retirement to see up again. He can't see it. He can't see it, but. Oh, Lord. Christ is risen. risen That is what the church is here to do, to declare in faith that because Christ has been raised one day, so shall we. That's why we, the church, are here. But I wonder today why you are here. You, me, us. What are you doing here? Some may say that they're here to exercise their Christian faith, to join in the Easter celebration to take their place among the faithful who gather this day in the shared belief that Christ has been raised and now we have hope for a world yet to be uh, revealed. Others may say that they're here because, well, where else would they be on Easter Sunday but filling the pew they've filled every Easter for the past 50 Easters or more. Others may be here for the first time to give church one more try, but they're spiritually weary from seeing all the many ways that churches in our day have just seemed to become appendages of one political party or another. Others are just here, thank you very much, marked present. But mentally and emotionally, we've wandered off into forests of hurt, frustration, grief, or all of it, all at once. On the surface, we've managed to conjure up our bravest face and our finest Easter appearance to convince everybody else that we're doing fine. But beneath the surface, we know that we're not doing fine. In fact, we're pretty sure that if we have to deal with one more capital T thing in our life, it's going to break us. Why are you here? But let me ask you a second question. What did you bring with you? Today, well, what, what, what invisible burden have you dragged with you into worship this morning? Some who are here, I know, have brought new medical diagnoses with them. Some have brought chemo and radiation treatment schedules. Some have brought the heartache of a marriage or relationship on life support. Some have brought the bittersweet sadness of nearing the end of your senior year of high school or your final year of college. Some have brought the sorrow of today being the first Easter to be celebrated without her, without him. Some have come and have brought anger towards a spouse or a parent. Some have brought the profound grief of, becoming, of being unable to become pregnant You've brought the shame of having lost a job or the frustration of not earning enough at your present work. Some have brought exhaustion, too many late nights spent trying to solve an unending string of crises. Others are here and they've brought addictions. Some have brought their depression. Some have brought the disquiet within their own soul, the sense that they just don't belong. Some have brought financial debts and medical bills. Others have brought rage at the seemingly unending parade of injustices in our world. Some have brought a thick cynicism that permits no hope whatsoever that anything ever will really change. Church, I don't know why you are here. I'm not sure what you have brought with you today, but I am glad that you are here, that we are here together. Christ is risen. In our gospel text today from the last chapter of Matthew, we meet two women who made an early morning trip out of the city to a private burial plot, to a borrowed grave. They, too, weren't sure why they were there. They, too, brought an invisible burden with them as they went. They brought with them a grief that the one they called Lord and friend and teacher had been shamefully executed and buried. They brought with them fear of what might happen to them now that Jesus had been killed. They brought with them an aching melancholy, a sense that maybe death is the only sure thing in the world, and that maybe the might of empire is the only true authority in the world. Today's Gospel says right at verse 1 that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to, quote, see the tomb. They they went out to observe it, to, to stare at it, to confront the brutal present again. Nowhere in this text do we read that they went out to the tomb in hopes of finding Christ raised. They went out to see the tomb. They they went out to the grave like we go out to the grave to wail, to grieve, to come to terms with the bitter taste that death leaves. The text tells us that these women went out on the morning after the Sabbath, in fact, to see the tomb. The first day of the week, they called it. Sunday, we might call it. In the Western world, we've come to associate Sunday with a day for rest. For some, Sunday is still a day appointed for worship. For others, it's a family day. Even in our rather irreligious zeitgeist, Sunday continues to be a day which many people have off work. Or it's a day when our place of work may have different hours than usual. Children don't typically go to school on Sundays. Courthouses don't typically hear cases on Sundays. Doctors' offices don't typically schedule checkups on Sundays. Things seem to move at a different pace for many of us on Sundays than they do on Monday. But for Jewish folks, the end of the Sabbath day marked the end of their day of rest. It was the end of the week for them, the beginning of a new week. The first day of the week, though we call it Sunday, was not a day appointed for rest for folks in Jesus' world. It was a day appointed for work. It was a day for normal business hours. It was a day for labor and commerce and trade, a day for doctors to see patients and judges to hear cases. The first day of the week in Jesus' day was more like our Monday than it is our Sunday. So consider this. While everybody else was getting ready to return to business as usual, while people are getting ready to go back to work, while market stalls are being opened to sell goods and services, and farmers are out in their fields sowing or weeding or harvesting, while everybody else is acting like it's just another first day of the week, these two women plan to go out to Jesus' grave to mourn and grieve and wail. They are not ready to move on. They're not ready to disassociate themselves from their suffering. They're not ready. And maybe you're here today, and everybody else seems to be just moving on with their lives, going back to business as usual, and you feel left alone in your heartache. Your grief persists while everybody else is moving on with their week. You have a friend in these two women from our gospel reading today. And so it was that at that very moment, at a moment when they were expecting to observe death, these women encounter something they did not expect. Somebody here say suddenly. suddenly. Suddenly, the gospel reports, verse 2, the earth shakes. The massive stone which had been set in front of the tomb entrance is rolled aside and a heavenly figure in dazzling garments is just somehow present, casually sitting on top of the stone. The guards at the tomb's entrance are so terrified at this that they faint And the two women are frozen with fear. The angel says, look, I know why you're here. I know why you're viewing this tomb. I know why you're weeping and grieving. You are looking for the dead. And it's true. They went out to the graveyard to find Jesus who was crucified. They went out in full belief that they would find a corpse in a grave, an object to mourn over something to weep for. They went out to the tomb on the first day of the week, weighed down by the power of suffering and death. But, the angel says, Christ is risen. He is risen the angel says he's not here. He has been raised, as he said. Come, look at the place where he lay. Come and look, the angel says. Come and see where held him. Come and view where his body had been. Then the angel tells them to go out and announce the news of Jesus' resurrection to Jesus' disciples and to pass on the word that they would soon see Jesus up north in their home county of Galilee. These two women become the first preachers of resurrection, and their first sermon is simple and beautiful and profound Christ is risen. And so here are these women, whose mourning had begun with a journey out to a grave to mourn, now suddenly confronted with a decisive new act of God. They are equal parts fear and joy, so says today's reading, equally terrified and bursting at the seams with this news. And so they obey the angel's instruction. They leave the tomb quickly, ready to announce resurrection. They've been given good news of great joy. They will see Jesus again. He's going to Galilee, the angel said. There you will see him. The good news these women were entrusted with was an announcement that Christ was just ahead of them. And that soon they would find him. Indeed, this is part of the Christian hope, is it not? That Christ has been raised and that we will see him again. That Christ is ahead of us, ahead of history, ahead of the pain and suffering and sorrow and longing, ahead of the road that we are tired of walking. Our hope is that Christ is waiting for us, ahead of us, and that when our lives have ended, we shall see him again and be with him forever. The future hope of the Christian faith can indeed be a balm for the most agonizing of present circumstances and the most paralyzing of pains. We know that one day we will be healed and whole, though perhaps not on this side of glory. The women leave the tomb prepared to announce this future reality to others, that Christ is ahead of them, that Christ is in their future. But somebody here say suddenly. Suddenly. Say it again, suddenly once more suddenly Suddenly. the gospel says that suddenly while they were rushing away while they were still terrified and overjoyed while they had barely had enough time to comprehend the angel's news while they were prepared to meet jesus in the future suddenly at that moment jesus who had died and who was raised jesus who was supposed to be up in galilee Jesus, who was supposed to be ahead of them, who they were not supposed to see for a few days more, suddenly the gospel says Jesus met them. Right there, at that moment, amid their disbelief, their awe, their wonder, their curiosity, and their fear. The Christ ahead of them had now become the Christ with them. Suddenly, the text says, Jesus met them. And when they saw him, the women rushed to him, grabbed onto his legs, and they worshipped him. The Christ of their future became the Christ in their present. And church, when Jesus shows up in the midst of your suffering, you grab hold of him and you don't let him go. When joy shows up in the midst of pain, you seize it by the feet and praise God for it. About a year and a half before she would die, from Lymphoma, the poet, one of my favorite poets, Mary Oliver, puts it this way. She says, if you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Give in to it. Sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world. Whatever it is, don't be afraid of its plenty. Joy is not made to be a crumb. The women running from the tomb see Jesus and they grab hold of his feet. They do not hesitate when confronted with joy incarnate. And Jesus again sends them to preach the good news of his resurrection. And they do. And we are here today, 100,000 Sundays later, because of it. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Suddenly, Jesus. Why are you here today? What have you brought with you Church, I can't answer those questions for you. But what I can say is that our risen Savior is ahead of you. That the road of your life, however it will twist and turn and as it goes through valleys of shadow and mountain paths of glory, however painful or sorrow-filled the journey might be, our Savior Christ is ahead of you. There is an end, beloved, and that end is life, and it is life everlasting. For Christ our Lord has parted the waters of death and has walked through on dry ground, and he assures us that though we may suffer now, in him we will yet live and find rest and joy and peace. But on this Easter Sunday we must also say this. The Christian faith is not just a future-only faith. We are not here trying to sell you a layaway faith that takes your money and time now promising that just one day in the future you'll find joy and peace. So just keep giving. Just keep showing up. No, while every one of our four gospels remembers it slightly differently, every single one of them remembers how the Christ who was raised is the Christ who showed up in the present of the lives of those who followed him right then and church right now. Not some distant day, but now. In the midst of our suffering and our pain and our doubt and our worry, the light of Christ is shining. Right here, right now, Christ the risen Lord meets us and we find the heartbeat of joy made just a little bit stronger and we seize its feet and hold on to it. The closing words of Matthew's gospel are words of Jesus to the church saying, remember, I am with you Always, even until the end of the world. The hope of resurrection is not just that Christ is ahead of us, but also that Christ is with us now amid whatever we've brought with us today. The hope of resurrection is not just that we'll find joy someday, many days from now, but that even amid our grief and sorrow, Christ offers us a present joy that this world cannot take away from us. Christ is risen Death, where is thy sting? Hell, where is thy victory? Christ is risen and you are overthrown. Christ is risen and the demons have fallen. He is risen and the angels rejoice. He is risen and life reigns. He is risen and has become the first fruits of a great harvest of resurrection. And not one of us shall be left in a tomb. Christ is risen. Therefore, come, church, enter all of you into the joy of our Lord. You who are rich, you who are poor, come and dance together for joy. You who are here, healed and whole, and you who have been shattered into a million pieces, come and rejoice together. You whose faith is abundant, and you who can't recall how to believe, come and eat together. For, hallelujah, Christ is risen. Let no one here lament their poverty today for Christ's kingdom has been revealed to us and we are all heirs Let no one mourn their sins for from the grave of damnation has sprung forth the light of forgiveness Let no one here fear death for Christ has been raised and death has been overthrown You might not have known it today, but you have come to worship on the day of days And I know beloved I know you have brought so much with you, your fears and your agonies, your doubts, your hurts, your sorrows, but today, on this day, you are invited by the risen and exalted Christ to bring all of it, to bring all of yourself to this table and exchange it here, exchange it for the stunning announcement that joy is yet possible. Christ is risen. Here we proclaim that death may be bitter, but it does not get the last word. Here we proclaim that life may be easily lost, but in Christ it is restored forever. Here we proclaim that weeping lasts all night long sometimes, but Jesus meets us right in the midst of our sorrow, and with him comes the possibility of hope and gladness. Again. Here we proclaim that because of Jesus, we will be joined with all the saints at Christ's great table where the Lord will finally swallow up death forever. Here we proclaim the inexplicable center of the gospel of Christian faith. Christ has been raised and is dead no longer. And if that is true, God be praised, if that is true, then our greatest enemy has been Overthrown. The grave has been robbed of its power. The end is no longer a bleak abyss of uncertainty, but it is life and life and life and life forever. If this is true, then we can look full in the face of everything we've carried with us this day, and we can declare to every hurt and sorrow that I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, resurrection joy was not made to be a crumb. Resurrection joy is not only for tomorrow or the next life. Resurrection joy surprises us even now, even amid our sorrow. For Christ is ahead of us and Christ is with us even to the end of the world. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. I speak to you in the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let the people of God say. Thanks for listening this week. The First Presbyterian Church of Flint is an historic downtown congregation proudly part of the Presbyterian Church USA, the largest Presbyterian denomination in the United States. You can learn more about us at fpcf.org. You can check out our weekly live stream broadcasts on our channel on YouTube. But better yet, you can stop by any Sunday at 1030 a.m. to worship with us. We would love to welcome you and your family to worship. Have a great week.